0: Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, hello, and thanks again for joining me on the back end of our Beatitudes Message Series. So if you're unfamiliar with the Beatitudes, uh, the Beatitudes are a list of statements that Jesus makes where he's talking about people who are blessed. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the humble, blessed are those in mourning. And his intention in giving us this list it not as much to give us a list of qualities to shoot for, necessarily, as it is a list of the people who are going to make up his kingdom. So if you, if you look into Jesus's kingdom the way he sees it, these are the kinds of people that you're gonna find. These are the kinds of people who are gonna be comfortable in his kingdom. And today we're landing on Matthew 5, 8, where Jesus says this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Purity is something I think that we've all been thinking about this past year a lot because of COVID. I mean, at least I've been thinking about purity a lot. I mean, I pump a hand sanitizer every time I see one. I've literally used two different hand sanitizers that are 20 feet away from each other at the grocery store. I mean, we're all washing our hands and wearing masks. And the reason is, is we don't want any COVID. We want to be 100% COVID pure. 95% COVID pure isn't good enough. Imagine that you are picking up food at a restaurant, you've ordered out, and when they hand it over, staff member who gives you your food says, just so you know, uh, while the chef was preparing your food, he coughed over it. But listen, it's okay, because he caught 95% of his cough in his sleeve. Only 5% of his cough made it into what you're about to eat. I mean, what would you do? I mean, I, I'd give it back, and I asked for my Big Mac with 0% cough. Thank you very much. No one is okay with just a little cough in their food. And purity, at the end of the day, is it's really just the presence of one thing with the absence of any extra junk. When something is pure, it doesn't have anything else mixed in. It doesn't have any impurities, like someone's COVID cough in your French fries. And and when we put it that way, thinking about purity and a pure heart I mean, a pure heart would be one that is 100% submitted to and focused on God, right? I mean, blessed are those whose hearts are completely set on God's will and not anything else. My my crutches (laughs) fell down. Let me drop those. (laughs) That makes sense, right? That being 100% focused on God is being pure. But I have questions. It makes sense that people with pure hearts are part of Jesus's kingdom. But why does the Bible also say that no one has a pure heart? because it does. Isaiah 29, 13 says, and so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. And Jeremiah, he says this about our hearts. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. I mean, beyond cure, it cannot be fixed. The heart is deceitful and cannot be cured. So how can a person have a pure heart when the Bible says that no one does have a pure heart and no one can have a pure heart? And I think the beginning of an answer is found in Jesus's relationship with two very specific and very opposite groups of people. Uh, Group one is the very religious and group two are sinners. Now, Jesus was well known for hanging out with people who were perceived as sinners. The gospel accounts say that he hung out with notorious sinners, which is kind of a code for the worst of the worst Worst in his religious society. It was people who were irreligious, had no religion, people who were sexually impure, prostitutes, um, tax collectors, and others who had betrayed their people, God's people, and the Jews, and had cozied up to the oppressive Roman government for profit. These were notorious sinners. And Jesus was attracted to, and he was attractive to, people like this. And then on the other hand, you have the very religious people, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. These were people who took their religion so seriously that they demanded obedience to the religious law down to the letter. And they enforced this on themselves, and they enforced it on others and they ostracized people who didn't you know, subscribe to their, their religious rigorous faith. They built power and wealth, and they built strict community adherence with their religion. And for the most part, these people hated Jesus. They hated how he appeared to disregard and disrespect their religious traditions. And as a result, how Jesus threatened their position, their power, and their prestige. Jesus was openly hostile towards these people. And even though he would eat with them and there were times when invited, he would, he would go to their house and teach in the synagogues that they led, Jesus really had nothing good to say about them. Now here's what's interesting to me, okay? When we're talking about purity, most people think sexual purity, right? Or at at least being free from kind of external sin. If you don't have sex outside of God's design, if you don't drink, don't gamble, don't listen to bad music, and you don't watch mature rated TV shows and movies, you are pure. And I think that's how many in the church look at purity. It's a very religious view of purity. And if that's what it is, I'm not going out on a limb to say that the Pharisees were more pure than almost everyone else. I mean, for example, the Jews had a law that forbade eating any flying insects that did not have jointed legs for hopping. So you could eat a grasshopper, you can't eat a fly. And because water could have insects and insect larva in it, pious Jews were very careful to strain the water through a cloth before drinking it because they didn't want to accidentally or unintentionally eat an unclean insect and therefore make themselves unclean or impure. And so to look at the lives of the very religious on the one hand, and the lives of the notorious sinner on the other, I mean, it would seem clear that the religious people were more pure than the other. But if that's true, why did Jesus mostly have a problem with the Pharisees and religious leaders? And if we believe what the Old Testament prophets said, that no one's heart is pure and that we're all equally sinners, I mean, that would include the religious people of Jesus's day, right? So they would be sinners too. So why was Jesus hostile towards sinners who were religious and not hostile towards sinners who weren't? Why were non-religious sinners more comfortable with Jesus than the religious ones were? And, And why was Jesus more comfortable with them? Let's take a look at what Jesus has to say about it. And Jesus gives this teaching in Luke chapter 18, starts in verse nine. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. So Jesus is painting a picture of the very two groups of people that we are looking at, the very religious and the notorious sinner. And right out of the gate, he says this, is that one group saw themselves as very righteous and they scorned everyone who wasn't. Story continues. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Jesus continues, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance, and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, This sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exhausted. Exhausted. They might be. They will be exalted. So, as the Pharisee prayed, he told God about all the things that he'd done. He told God all the reasons that he was pure. And in contrast, the tax collector told God who he was. Now now that's important. So check this out. I had a phase where I was trying to stop drinking pop, um, which I would get in like the huge big gulp cups at the gas station, right? And I wanted to cut out the sugar. And then after I went to diet, I just wanted to cut out all the like the fake chemicals and stuff. So I figured that when I needed the gas station drink, I would always get fruit juice, right? Because gas stations carry juice. What's better than that, right? But in the process of being a fruit juice convert, I discovered something. So this is grape juice. You can see it right on the bottle, 100% juice. That means there is nothing else in there at all. It's pure juice. Now this is not what I was drinking because when I went to the gas station, I always wanted to get the cheapest of the fruit juices cause I was cheap. And so I would get this. Now, what's the difference you might be saying? They're both bottles of Welch's grape juice. And that's what I thought, but I was wrong. You see, this is Welch's grape juice. This is Welch's grape juice cocktail. The top one contains just grape juice, nothing else. But the bottom one contains grape juice and filtered water, high fructose corn syrup, citric acid, pectin, ascorbic acid, and sucralose. You see, manufacturers, they can't falsely advertise and call something grape juice, if there's other stuff in there. But if they add the word cocktail, they can add or take out anything they want. So just 5% of this grape juice cocktail could actually come from a grape. And they could still call it grape juice cocktail or grape juice drink. And what's frustrating to me is that you can't tell just by looking at this bottle that there isn't real grape juice inside. It's not like like this bottle below that's not grape juice. It's not like it has pictures of grapes next to bottles of high fructose corn syrup next to packets of sucralose on the label. The outside label presents a picture of, of what this is that's very different than what's actually on the inside. And with that, Jesus tells us what it means to be pure in heart. And it means this, a person who is pure in heart is someone whose inner life and outer life are aligned. Now, as the Pharisee stood before God, he spent his prayer showcasing the label of his bottle, right? I mean, look at all the things that I do and look at all the things I don't do. Look at how different I am than all of the other drinks, His relationship with God and his relationship with others was really rooted in who they thought he was rather than who he really was on the inside, in his heart. And the tragedy of this is that he may have actually been deceiving himself. He may have thought he was pure, he may have thought he was grape juice. But the Pharisee was juice cocktail in a juice bottle. The tax collector, on the other hand, I mean, we know he wasn't a good guy. I mean, these guys were known for taking advantage of people for their own profit. They were were pretty gross people, which is why they are often referenced. I mean, literally so often referenced in the Gospels. Whenever someone needs an example of the worst kind of sinner, they point to tax collectors. But as he stood before God, he was honest, transparent and open about who and where he was. He knew he was a sinner, and he didn't try to be anything other than what he was with God. Which means this, he was pure. Now, the irony of this is not that Jesus likes grape juice, and that he doesn't like grape juice cocktail. I mean, Jesus likes all the flavors. He just wants the label to match what's inside, So check this out. What if the Pharisee had prayed this? What if he said, God, I get a lot of things right. I mean, I follow you to the best of my ability and I do a lot of good things. But in spite of that, I know that there's still areas in my life in which I need you to help me. It may be a small percent, but there's a portion of my life in which I still struggle with sin. If the Pharisee had prayed that prayer, I'm certain that he would have left justified by God just like the tax collector was. I mean, the Pharisee's sin was no greater than that of the tax collector. In fact, on the surface, his sin was probably much less than the tax collector. The problem was that the Pharisee couldn't or wouldn't accept and own up to what was in his heart, to what was really happening in his heart. And God cares about our hearts more than our actions. I mean, check this out, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse seven. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at our hearts, not our labels. That's why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees and, and still so welcoming to other people who lived, I mean, honestly, very sinful lifestyles. That's why he says this to the Pharisees in Luke 16, 15. He says, then he said to them, you, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. But then when he's talking to a woman caught in adultery, he talks like this, John eight ten. Jesus says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That is a big difference in tone and language between the Pharisees and a woman literally caught sinning in the act of adultery. And I know that this is a departure from what many of us think when we think about purity. Because purity has always been a matter of, I think in the church, of keeping the world at a distance so that the world can't infect you and make you impure. And we tend to approach purity the way the Pharisees did. We look at purity as things that we do and things that we don't do. And as a result, it's very easy for us to judge how pure we are, particularly in relation to others. And don't get me wrong, when we come to Jesus, he does an even greater purifying work in us. He takes what we are and he begins the process of making us more perfect, more holy, more like him. But the people who will come into Jesus's kingdom and find a home there, they are not people who are free from sin because that would be none of us. The people who instead, who will be comfortable in the kingdom of God are those who are honest with themselves about who they are, what they struggle with and where they stand before God. People who are 100% themselves on the outside as well as on the inside. And that's the very reason the religiously observant Pharisees were uncomfortable with Jesus, And, and yet crowds of notorious sinners loved being around him. It's why Jesus had conflict with the very religious and embraced the worst sinners in his culture at the same time. So let me ask you this. Are you pure in heart? Are you honest with yourself and God about who you really are, what you struggle with, and maybe what you need to repent of? If entry into the kingdom of God were dependent on the outside label of your life matching what was actually inside your heart, would you get in? We, we all have sin issues that we wish weren't there, things that we don't want to acknowledge or deal with. I mean, is, is there pride in your life that keeps you from being honest with God and others? Nobody wants to be called a racist, but are there some things in the way that you think about and talk about others that you've just been unwilling to look at and refuse to shine a light on and evaluate with God? If you dug down into how you use your resources, would you find selfishness and greed there? We once had a friend who told us one time that he never weighs himself because If he doesn't know how much he weighs, then he never has to do anything about it. And you'd say, I just don't look there. There's a scale, but I don't look there. Are there corners of your heart where you don't look? Are there ingredients in your heart that are inside the bottle, but not advertised on the label? If so, to get this right, there there's three things that we can do today. The first is this is ask God to show you what's really in your heart. I mean, ask him to help you see what you haven't seen or or what you've been been refusing to look at or afraid to look at. Test your purity. And then second, this is a big one, but I do this all the time. Read and memorize and pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24. It says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Read it, memorize it, commit it to heart. I pray that verse all the time and it has been a north star to me. And then finally, write down or tell someone what God shows you after you ask. Bring some accountability into the honesty that you are going to have with yourself and with God. I know this, God's kingdom is a comfortable place for people who are pure in heart, whose inner lives and outer lives are aligned. And that alignment is just the beginning of what Jesus wants to do in your life. That that when we are pure in who we are before him, that that's just the beginning of the process of him making us pure like him, which is ultimately his end goal for us. A relationship with Jesus, it begins with one kind of purity, and it ends with a better kind of purity, and that's the journey that God has for you and for me. So let's be real. Let's be transparent. Let's take a look at what's going on inside. Let's take a look at our hearts. Let's open ourselves up before God and allow Him to reveal to us the things that maybe we've been unwilling to see, unwilling to look at, the things that he's calling us to repent from, to turn away from. When we do, I know this, God's going to draw you one step closer to him and you will find yourself more comfortable in his kingdom because there's a tension that exists when when what's on the outside of our bottle and what's inside of our bottle don't match. And when we remove that tension within God's kingdom, that's when his work in our lives can really begin. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.